Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. Brace yourself for a staggering statistic. If you've celebrated your 50th birthday, it could take you 55 to 64 weeks to get your next job. But don't let that dishearten you, because in today's episode, I'm giving you advice on two of the most important marketing pieces in your job search creating an age-friendly resume and LinkedIn profile. We'll also explore the potential drawbacks of unlimited paid time off packages. For our career changers out there, I have a dose of real-life inspiration. We'll be hearing from Molly Floyd, who underwent a dramatic career shift from an elementary school teacher and principal to the Director of Customer Success at iHire. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. If you're facing ageism in your job search, you need to be sure you have a killer resume. Your resume is your marketing document and the first impression employers will have of you. So it should showcase your skills and experience and accomplishments. So let's start with the things that you absolutely need to do to create an age-friendly resume. My personal opinion is that everyone, no matter your age, should have a professionally written resume. Writing a resume isn't something that you do every day and the job market is super competitive. I realize that this can be a chunk of change. Sometimes it costs between two and $500 to have a professionally written resume, but think of it as making an investment in yourself. And the stats show that a professionally written resume can increase your earning potential by 7 to 32%. And if that professional resume gets you hired two or even three months faster than the one you write yourself, you'll more than make up for the amount of money you paid to have it written. If you're 50 or above and facing a job search, that could take a year or more, you can't afford to spend the first three months of that time tweaking your resume and second-guessing yourself every time you send one out and you don't receive a phone call. Hire an expert who can recommend the correct format and help you highlight your strengths and work history effectively. Having your resume professionally written also alleviates a lot of stress on the front end of this job search. That being said, I realize that this might not be in the budget for everyone. So I'll give you the most valuable piece of advice I can if you're writing your resume yourself. Limit your work history to the past 10 to 15 years. Doing this puts focus on your recent experience and it highlights your most relevant achievements. This way you're not placing too much emphasis on your age. Also consider using a hybrid resume format that combines both a chronological and functional resume elements. This format allows you to highlight your skills and accomplishments and qualifications while still providing a chronological overview of your work history. And that's what employers expect to see. iHire has a lot of articles and templates to help you structure a hybrid resume 
and you can find those in our resource center. Also, there are a few things you shouldn't do when it comes to your resume. Do not include your graduation dates. You can focus on some of your more recent education and training that's relevant to the job that you're applying for. Now, I still want you to put on your education information, the school you attended and the degree you have. You can still add your education information, the school you attended and your degree, just leave off the graduation date. Now, let's talk about social media and LinkedIn in particular. You do need to have an online presence because that shows that you're professional and up-to-date and know how to use technology. However, potential employers do not need to see your Facebook or Instagram or what I would consider social media for your friends and family. So just make those accounts private. Remember, you want to present yourself as a capable professional. Make sure your LinkedIn profile closely mirrors your resume because employers will compare the two. Consistency is key when it comes to showcasing all of your skills and experience. And lastly, just as you did with your resume, avoid including graduation dates or your entire work history on your LinkedIn profile. Focus on highlighting your recent achievements and your relevant experience. Your best shot at finding a job is through networking. So don't underestimate the power of making connections on LinkedIn and asking for referrals. Participate in group discussions, post or repost relevant articles for your industry and leverage your connections. Your job search should not take a year. You deserve to be successful and age should never stand in your way. Today, my guest is Molly Floyd, the incredible customer success director at iHire. Now, what sets Molly apart is her impressive background in education as a teacher and a principal. Those roles have honed her skills in building relationships, collaborating effectively, and juggling the needs of multiple stakeholders. It's no wonder she's excelling in her current position, where she focuses on tackling the unique challenges faced by iHire's clients. Although Molly's roots are in education, her love for growth and building connections has led her to this exciting chapter in customer success. Get ready to be inspired and empowered by Molly. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. Well, Molly, I feel like I'm getting two interviews for the price of one here because I want to talk to you about your career path, both from being an elementary school teacher to a principal, and then your career change from principal to director of customer success here at iHire. So it's so great to have you here, Molly. Thank you. I'm really happy and excited to be here. Let's start by exploring your career journey in education. How did you go from being a teacher? What grade did you teach? Tell me a little bit about that to becoming the principal of the elementary school. Well, I always wanted to be a teacher. Growing up, I would play school in our playroom. I converted it into a classroom. Our Barbie dollhouse turned into a teacher's desk and the stuffed animals were around to hear the lessons that I was providing. Love to grade papers and, you know, just make that space a classroom. It was just always something that I knew I wanted to do. So it was easy in high school. There was a program that we could spend half a day 
at a local elementary school and just be in the classroom. I was in a second grade classroom and helped facilitate one-on-one sessions and just learn what it was like in a classroom. I learned from the students very much then as well. Um, You're always learning from them. And so once I completed that program through the high school, I went to Indiana University in Fort Wayne and finished my elementary education degree at Tri-State. So my first year of teaching was fourth grade. They prepare you from the textbook, but when you're in the classroom, it's, it's a whole new reality. So every day was you know, applying the skills and lessons you learned, but then like the dose of what you're really doing uh, took over. So after about three or four years of teaching, I knew I wanted to go deeper into that world, kind of explore the different paths you could take. So I sought out a master's program focused on reading. That was a passion of mine. I struggled with it in elementary school and had a wonderful teacher, Mrs. Lewis. She invested a lot of time and patience in me. I'm very grateful for that. So, you know, I I thought that that's how I could give back even more. Um, that program was no longer really an option through the school I was looking at. So I went a different route and looked in the curriculum and instructional path you can take. That program had also closed out at at the university at this time. So the the option was a master's in educational leadership. And so being a principal administration, that was super scary. And I had uh, reservations, but knew that something scary like that could also lead to growth. And so I went for it. As a school principal, I am sure that you have a thousand different incredible stories. Do you have any rewarding moments that really stand out to you? Yeah. So the the rewarding experiences that stand out to me are really the small moments in the classroom. Uh, I recall having a secret handshake with an entire second grade class. And then just like those little moments where you're communicating with the students just through looks and body language, like a lot can be communicated that way. And you build a relationship with these, with these little guys. And so you, you learn how you can communicate that way, you know? So uh, one specific memory that stands out, a little boy named David, when I taught at an elementary school in Greenville, South Carolina, he was super nervous to present to the class, had anxiety around it. So it was so rewarding to be able to coach him and to also coach the class at the same time that, you know, we're here to support him, to listen, just help him. You know, we're here to, to help. So right. uh, he he ended up doing a really great job and he was very proud of himself. And that just felt like a big success. Like, I think, you know, I, I hope that that one moment or experience just started to build others where He's an adult now somewhere out in the world and and can feel confident in what he's doing. And it's funny because the teachers in elementary school can really make or break those moments. I remember I don't like conflict at all. And I remember the first time that a teacher yelled at me and I was devastated, yeah. like for 
for days, I was just afraid to say boo in the classroom mm-hmm. because I was afraid I was going to get yelled at. And I don't think that she was really yelling at me in particular. I think it was a group of us, but it is funny how how impressionable yeah. you are as a child. Right. How you internalize all those moments. It's it's important. Yeah. And I think being aware of that as a teacher, it's it's quite a bit of power to like mm-hmm. and responsibility to like to know that and to be aware in those moments. So then joining iHire as the director of customer service was a huge career change for you. Big step to get out of the the principalship and into the business world. What motivated you to make that change? Yeah, so I think it goes back to some of the challenges that are present in the world of education. You know, we had many students who came to school for basic needs to be met before they could soak up the the lessons and curriculum that we were there to provide them. So that was a challenge just as a teacher and a principal to, you know, have everyone on the same page that there's things that have to come first before we can be successful in why we think we're here to teach them math and history and, you know, social studies. But it's about like, you know, there's some children who they have to have breakfast first and they need to know that this classroom is a safe place and, you know, they they need love and support and we have to build their self-respect and self-esteem before we can get to that other stuff that we think is the important reason why we're here. So that's what I loved about it, to, to be able to focus on those things that really matter but i think ultimately that at the same time that's what burned me out i felt slightly defeated i would say i was in a place in my life you know they, they talk about seasons of life and i think that with two young children and a family i could not dedicate the energy that is required really to do either job well so i i had to resign from one and that was the teaching profession. Right. So that's what led me to looking for something else. And I would imagine that it's not a eight to five job. You have to reach out to parents in the evening and talk to them about what's going on at school or what's going on with their children. And um, I I would imagine that that is very tough too. Yeah. It it really is a 24 hours a day job in a way because you're constantly thinking about what we can do better, what we can do differently. Uh, you get invested in the, the children and their emotional well-being um, and that mm-hmm. can all be very draining. Give us some insight into what your role entails. What does your director of customer success role look like from day to day? So right now I support four people who manage 14 other people. Uh, it's, it's those 14 other people that are taking direct care of our customers. My day looks like meeting, you know, in one-on-one, supporting my team as they support their teams, 
collaborating with our marketing department, product, uh, reviewing important KPIs, helping build our new customer advisory board. That's kind of the general day, you know, throughout the week I'm working on those things. Tell me a little bit more about the customer advisory board. What's that all about? So we're in the process of building a small group of customers who are very engaged with our product and they offer feedback that can help uh, us grow and be better, um, you know, and and really guide our product roadmap, um, our marketing efforts, just learn from each other um, over the course of, you know, six months or a year and we're kicking that off finally. We've got our first few meetings set up and it's been really exciting to see that start to, to turn into a reality. It's interesting how different industries intersect in surprising ways. Are there any skills or lessons that you learned or you brought from being a teacher and a principal over into this customer success role? Yeah, absolutely. The the one that stands out to me is conflict resolution. I think it entails many other skills in there, but just listening, being polite and professional, but direct, uh, staying calm in unpleasant situations. That was a, a huge one that I would experience, you know, just stressful situations where you had a plan. It's not going as planned and you need to be flexible and adjust, but like keep your composure and just go with it. Um, So I think all of that really helped prepare me and set me up to be successful in this role. Often in our interviews for customer success managers, I'll share, you know, part of this role is learning to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So I think that that's exactly what I experienced in it. And it has helped me feel comfortable for things that you can't always plan for. So, And in the field of customer service or customer success, it, it's all about fostering those relationships and the conflict management, as you said. What aspects do you find most fulfilling about your role? So it really is the relationship piece. When I saw the job description for the client relationship manager role is what it was called then, it was very heavily centered around building relationships with customers and helping them be successful. And it felt like that was speaking to me, like the the relationship piece. That was what mattered so much to me in the previous role. And so it was like, if I can focus on that, that be the, the most important piece of this role, then, then it's, it's a good fit. So this is a question I'm going to start asking everyone that's on the podcast because I am so intrigued by artificial intelligence, AI, all the tools that are just coming on so fast every day. I, I get I get a lot of newsletters and it's just like something every day is coming out that would help our industry. But what do you see as some of the, the game-changing things that AI is being used for in the field of customer service? Yeah. 
Before I touch on that, I want to say that I did like your post. You had a recent post about not being afraid that AI will replace your job, but be more concerned about the people who are using AI because they might. (laughs) So so it's like- They will be the ones to replace. There's no choice right now, really, but to lean into it and figure out how it can help and how it can Mm -hmm. make us more efficient. So, you know, that's a challenge. That's an open invitation right now to our team to come up with some ways that, that, you know, it can make our communication easier with customers, how it could help our processes uh, be more efficient or how we research our customers. So yeah, we're just, we're in that space right now of, of thinking, how can we utilize this to our advantage? And then there's also, you know, I'm aware that there are ways that I can't even possibly think of right now. So that will take a, a group of many people, not just in CS, but in other departments to help us figure that out as well. And understand how to implement that into everybody's day to day. I'm sure people are getting tired of me sending them links to different tools. <laughs> every day I find something and I think, oh, this person can use this. So career change can be really daunting, especially when you're transitioning to a completely different field. What advice would you give someone who's considering a career change based on your own experience? Yeah. Well, really, it was a scary thing to 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 decide that that's what I was going to do. But once you make that decision that I'm going to do this, then it all can kind of fall into place. I think the biggest thing is to just trust yourself. Deep down, you know what is a good fit and what is not, even if it's something that you love and what it stands for, like how I feel about public education. It just might not be a good fit right now at this time in your life. So that's okay. Doing what's right for you in this moment is what's important. So I think we can get caught up in how much time or money we've invested in something or what we you know, visualized in our heads that it would be. I certainly did as I navigated this. Um, but just listening to your inner voice and taking a chance, doing something that feels uncomfortable, that's usually a sign that it's leading you in a way that it, is it going to be a good experience for personal and professional growth. So having a strong support system is important when you're making decisions like that. They can really help you along the way. And and I'll, you know, if, if anyone's going through this or thinking about this, you know, I'll be one person that will, will support you as you navigate it. Yes. I, I think that that's great advice because when you start talking to your family and your friends about it, I'm sure the initial reaction is, oh, are you sure you want to do that? Because they want to protect you. They, they've they seen you go through all of the, um, the schooling and everything that you've gone through. And I'm sure that they're like, oh, are, are you sure? Are you sure you're making the right decision? But mm-hmm. as you said, it probably just comes down to trusting your gut 
and in your own instincts that this is the right thing for you to do. Yeah. I remember making lots of lists, pros and cons, just one after another, you know, and then it was like visible. This is what you've got to do. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole. I see unlimited PTO or paid time off listed on a lot of job ads right now. But does that really work to attract candidates? While unlimited PTO policies can boost productivity and satisfaction, they often come with restrictions and can inadvertently discourage people from taking time off. Despite the name, unlimited vacation policies often have some restrictions, such as requiring a manager's approval or having a use it or lose it clause argue that unlimited vacation policies can lead to employees taking less time off due to a fear that they will appear uncommitted to their work and they don't want to seem like they're taking advantage of the system. But some people do take advantage of that system. And that's one of the main reasons companies switch back to traditional vacation policies after trying the unlimited ones. In my world, there would be a system where new employees would get a generous PTO package. But after being at the company for X number of years and proving yourself, then those folks would graduate to the unlimited PTO benefit. I know it's hard to please everyone. Some people like knowing exactly how many days off they get per year, while others like the flexibility of the unlimited PTO. If you're offered this benefit, make sure you understand the restrictions that come along with it. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.